Welcome to the Mad Ones. I'm your favorite host ever, Cam Harless. And no one can fight me on that because Jessica's not here right now. Yes, I'm alone in hosting right now. No, it won't be that the way the whole episode, but Jessica's at church reading a thing. So, you know, I have to get this thing going alone. So uh, this is going to be the first of our Easter-based episodes, which is fun because I always love doing the Christian ones. I, I love talking about Jesus. So I'm excited about this one. But before we get to that, uh, this show is 100% brought to you by the fans and patrons. So hit like, subscribe, share the show with your friends. We have all sorts of topics we've covered. Uh, share them with someone who might gain something from them. Um, also, our Patreon is great if you want to hear an early episode. Right now, our next episode with Glenn Peoples is already on our Patreon, and you can watch the video or listen to it if you just join. Uh, so we also do Zoom Hangouts. You'll be... I'll, I'll, grateful to you for eternity. Uh, so go to patreon.com slash the mad ones, get into that. We do zoom parties. We do uh, parties with games. I mean, it's a lot of fun. Uh, also, if you want a shirt, if you want to really rep us, go to we are the mad ones.com slash store, and you can pick up a tank, which is the preferred shirt. Always. I'm not wearing one right now because I've worn all my tank tops this week. Uh, but I figure why not? Let's let's go ahead and get to the show. Jessica will meander in later and uh, have questions about uh, whatever we've talked about before, and we'll have to catch her up. It'll be a whole fun thing. Uh, but joining us tonight is a man who's written more, bu more books than Paul the Apostle at this point, a theologian, a thinker, a friend, an enemy, a vegetarian, a pacifist, a joker, a smoker, a midnight toker, and some call him the gangster of love. Host of Cantus Firmus and the author of his newest book, What Belongs to Caesar, my buddy and the dude that I talk to about theology on a regular basis, Mr. Cody Cook. And he was found dead this morning in his Ohio, in his Ohio, what am I, his Ohio apartment. That's a weird yeah. word to say. Okay. Ohio okay. apartment? Yeah. In his Ohio apartment. It feels like I, I'm jumping around a little. All right. Every now and then I try to fit as many possible words into an intro as I can. <laughs> yeah. So I, I hope that was adequate. Oh, it was, it was um, perfect. Thank you. Uh, you know, you're welcome. So how have you been? Uh, when was the last time we talked on the show? Because we talk kind um, of on Christmas. Christmas. So we, yeah. what did we talk about? Uh, we, were, <laughs> we were talking about the uh, the incarnation. Right. I think we sort of fit it into the uh, the context a little bit of like the Nephilim stuff as kind of a reversal. Yeah. We keep talking about that, which we'll probably talk a little bit about that whole situation as well. well but... Yeah, we'll definitely talk about reversal, but Nephilim could also come up. <laughs> <laughs> it seems to, because it's such a fascinating thing. Yeah. And you've actually written a, a book on that called Fight the Powers, which I wanted to tell people, we, we're, we're talking about the gospel today. We're going to go over what is the gospel, because I feel like a lot of times we constrain the story of the gospel just to the plan of salvation or the method of salvation, where there's... There's a whole story. The, the whole book of the Bible is about the gospel. So what are we missing? What can we add to this conversation? What What's the story that brought the first Christians after the apostles to Christianity? I think that's worth talking about. Uh, but you do have a book as well written called Unhitched that talks about how Jesus is connected to the Old Testament as well. Yeah. So incidentally, because I knew I was going to be doing this, uh, I've got a couple books that are free right now on Kindle. So uh, if you want to, anybody wants to jump on, you can look up my name and a second Adam or Unhitched. and Or just go down into the, the description yeah. and I've got links to it. And the, the significance of those books is that they both are bringing the gospel um, in the New Testament 
and putting it in connection with the Old Testament and sort of trying to figure out how they fit together. Um, Second yeah. Adam is doing it in more of a sense of like just kind of developing theology and the atonement. Uh, but Unhitched is really kind of engaging with uh, certain scholars who um, want to sort of cut the Old Testament off, unhitch the Old Testament from the gospel, yeah. uh, which I find to be uh, insane. It's yeah. it's fine if you, if you define the gospel in that very narrow sense of what must I do to be saved. And it's, yeah. it's that kind of individual salvation thing. Then, yeah. yeah, you don't need the Old Testament, but you also don't really need the New Testament. Um, right. But, but but if you want to talk about the gospel, the good news, the message, um, that's a bit bigger. And there's there's a lot of moving parts, and they all sort of fit together in this sort of beautiful harmony. And you need both testaments, or it doesn't really fit. Yeah. Well, and that's that's one of the we were. I was having a conversation with someone maybe a month or two ago, and they were talking about how you know they don't go very far into the Old Testament or read much of the Old Testament because all you really need is the Book of John or any of the, you know, um, the Gospels, as we call them, um, which is one Gospel. We, we'll get to that. Um, but I was just so surprised, and it's I know that I'm not like everyone else, and if everyone was like me, it'd be a really weird world. But, like, for me, when I start thinking about Jesus, when I start thinking about God, I want to take in as much information as I can. You know, I want to learn who he is. I want to learn what he did, why he did it, you know, and that's that's been why I've been drawn to theology. It's why I have a bachelor's degree in biblical studies is because, you know, I didn't think I was going to make a lot of money with a biblical studies degree, but I wanted to know him better. And I was willing to, you know, go into insane debt to do so when I could have done it online, Cody, I could have done it online. <laughs> I could have read books. But no, um, but no, it was just wild to me because if you start to look at Jesus and what he did, the question I think that first should arise in your mind is why do we have Easter? Why do we talk about Jesus's death? Why do we talk about his resurrection? Why is this important? And it's like, sure, you can, if you read Acts, if you read about Jesus's life, you can surely see all the little pieces you need for individual salvation but you're missing the entire narrative, the meta narrative. And so I want to talk about that. I want to talk about why that's important. And I thought, you know, me and Cody talk about this stuff and he's probably the best person that we, we can just go through it. You know, well, I mean, maybe not the best person. I mean, I could talk to Paul, the apostle, maybe that might be better, but you know what I mean of people that I regularly speak to. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you talk about the meta narrative, the, the big story, right? And yeah. I sort of see God as this master storyteller. Yeah. Um, and uh, to take an example, this one's mainstream enough that people should know what I'm talking about. You watch a movie like The Sixth Sense the first time, and you get to the end, and you figure out the reveal, and then you want to go back and, and watch the whole movie again. Right. And you sort of say, wow, this was here the whole time. This ending was not just tacked on. This was the story that the, uh, that the, that the, the filmmaker was wanting to tell. This was, I mean, it was all going this direction, right? Another so, good example is uh, Fight Club. Yeah. Like you watch Fight Club, you get to the reveal of Fight Club, and then you you can go back and you start seeing the little little glimpses of Tyler Durden throughout the movie. Sure. Yeah. And and, and so if, if if someone, you were to talk to somebody, and let's say you're a big fan of The Sixth Sense, and you say, it's a great movie, it's a fantastic movie. And they say, tell me why it's so great. And you said, well, because at the end, Bruce Willis... Right. I mean, that, that's, that's, a, that's a small part of it. It's maybe the most exciting part in a way. 
uh, but it's not the whole story. And, and that right. reveal by itself isn't that exciting unless it's in the context. And I yeah. think that that's what I think knocked Paul on his butt a little bit was that, you know, he is living with this, the first part of the story and then he gets to the reveal and he's like, holy crap. <laughs> and right. And, and so that that's, I think what, what I think more Christians should be, be interested in doing is getting the whole story so that the moment that, that, that moment that you get to is really a holy crap moment. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Well, so, and, and, and that's the thing. I mean, a lot of people, I don't know how many people know, I've known my whole life that the word gospel literally means good news. Hmm. And so that's what it's supposed to be is, you know, you, I, I recently read a book and this is kind of what brought up this topic at all. I read um, the King Jesus gospel by Scott McKnight, which was a good book. It made some really good points that I'd never thought of before, but it made me wonder how many people know what the word gospel means, what gospel is. And so I was going to just pose it to you and, you know, we'll banter of course, because I've, I've planned all of the banter in advance, you know, so we're going to get it. Uh, no, I didn't. Uh, but let's talk about what gospel means. How has it been used? Yeah. So when we talked about doing this, we didn't have a title yet, but I knew kind of broadly what we were going to be talking about. And then I saw that you picked the title, What is the Gospel? So then I sort of started working on my notes with that in mind. And yeah. uh, my, my the way I like to approach things is to carefully research them so that I'm never having a conversation and going, uh, I think Paul said it somewhere. I like to right. have all that information. So uh, so the first thing I did um, was I went back and I looked at the word uh, euangelion, which means gospel, good news, glad tidings. And I wanted to mm -hmm. see where how it was used in the New Testament. And I wanted to see how it was used in the Old Testament. And my mom is trying to call me right now, even though she knows that I'm on uh, here. Okay. So um, <laughs> the... Um, Maybe she uh, has good news. Maybe she has good news. Yeah, interrupt me. Uh, well, if you're watching, mom, just comment. Um, the um, so there's I looked at it in the Old Testament, and I wanted to see how it was used there because that's really the background. So when you're interested, when yeah. you want to know what some of these ideas mean for New Testament authors, it's helpful to look at the Old Testament because they're familiar with it. And so in the Old Testament, in the Greek translation, because the Old Testament is Hebrew and Aramaic, but there was a Greek translation called the Septuagint that was that Paul was familiar with that the New Testament authors quote. And it uses that word. And um, there's the noun form, there's the verbal form, and it mostly uses the verbal form. So it's the idea of gospeling or good newsing, yes. or basically we don't we say bringing good news because we don't have a verb for good newsing. Um, yes. But uh, so often it's used like in a military context. First Samuel 31 verse nine: the Philistine army realizes that King Saul is dead, and so they go to proclaim the good news. They go to gospel. That, that Saul is dead. For them, that's good news. This is a military victory. They've overcome uh, a significant enemy. Yep. Um, but you also have places like in Psalm 95, where uh, it, it gospels about God's salvation. God made the heavens and will judge the nations with equity and righteousness. Uh, so that, that's it's that interesting, too, because we're looking forward to the, the bringing in of the nations, because at this point, the Psalms are written, Israel is, is God's sort of focus in a way. Um, and so, yeah, basically there's this good news, even in the Old Testament, that God is bringing the nations in and welcoming them, welcoming them to be among his people. Um, we have um, apocryphal books like the Psalms of Solomon, uh, which mm -hmm. may or may not be in the Orthodox canon. I don't remember. Jessica could tell us that for sure. Uh, but in that in that in the Psalms of Solomon 11, 1, the good news is that God is having mercy on Israel and ending their exile. So we have these sort of contexts. You have a military victory. We have 
God is welcoming and opening up and, and, and basically showing grace uh, to, to the world. Uh, we have the end of exile uh, of, of Israel being brought back. Uh, and in Joel 2.32, this one's quoted by, in the New Testament a few times. The good news is that anyone who calls on the name of Yahweh, of God, will be saved. Yeah. Um, but I think the passage most oft cited from the Septuagint that relates to gospel is Isaiah 52.7. as uh, is also in the New Testament quoted. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces mm -hmm. peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. So that's the Old Testament background for gospel. Right. And it has to do with, as I said, you know, the good news, this uh, God bring peace to Israel. There may be some connotation of defeating an enemy and also bringing peace to the world. Uh, it's also used in the Roman context. <laughs> and I yeah. think that could be significant as well. Maybe more significant. Uh, it's, it's tough to say, uh, but in that context, it's used in a plural form: gospels, good newses, <laughs> uh, <laughs> in context with the of uh, the imperial cult. Yep. So there's an inscription from about 9 BC that reads: "The birthday of the god Caesar Augustus was for the world the beginning of the Evangelia, the good news, which have gone forth because of him." So this is the good yep. news for them: the birth of the god Caesar Augustus. Um, yep. And sometimes it's used in a military context as well, where Rome conquers or vanquishes enemies. Yep. So um, I think that helps us to understand a little bit more about how the New Testament authors are using the word. Um, I think it's also very likely that insofar as there is a uh, part of the background is the, the way the Romans use it, the imperial cult, is that yep. it's actually meant to be challenging the, imper the imperial cult. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that basically, uh, as um, I think it's N.T. Wright who likes to say, that uh, part of what the gospel message was that they were preaching, the new early church was preaching was um, uh, Jesus is God, Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah so that's, that's the background. Yeah. And that's what I found so interesting when I read that recent book that I read was he, uh, Scott me Knight brought up the, um, the kind of battle between Mark Antony and uh, Octavian to take over after Julius Caesar died. Um, and so once that very tumultuous time was over and Octavian took the throne, they went out and gave the good news, the gospel, gospels as it were, and that there would be peace now. And that was the good news is, you know, Augustus is doing this. Uh, there's good news. And I, I it's, I never, I, I hate that I learned that so late because it's, it does seem like you're talking about like the imperial cult and that that pushback against um, the imperial cult, or I would I would say you know more broadly Babylon is so fascinating to me because even though Jesus wasn't political in the way we see politics, he was a king coming into his kingdom, and there's so much history to that. And I think that that's that's what's missing is you know this historical view. So I thought now that we know what good news. I think that one, we know what the word means. We know what gospel means. But one of the things that gospel needs or good news, two things it needs to be is one, news, and two, good. <laughs> and so I think that maybe if you're if you're willing to walk back with me to yeah. Genesis one, let's talk about where we are, what was meant to be, and what had to be fixed from that Jesus came for. Why did he think? What what was the promise? Yeah. What was messed up? Where are we going? Well, and, and as I say, I also have notes too on how the New Testament uses the word, but I think it might be maybe better to, as you said, start with the the bad news 
And then yeah. we can kind of go f- jump forward a little bit and, and look at the, the ways that the, the word gospel is used. Um, yeah. So I think that the gospel is primarily a reversal. Mm-hmm. Um, and the word I use in a second, Adam, is recapitulation, uh, yes. which means to rehead, re-head. something, right? And so uh, recapitulation is this idea that like um, is made popular by Irenaeus <laughs> that um, um, that what Adam got did wrong or ruined, Christ has reversed. And so he uses the image of the tree. So uh, Adam has this sin on a tree that brings death to mankind and Christ's obedience upon the tree brings life. And that's that's one metaphor. Um, and in fact, Paul uses that second Adam terminology. Uh, so it's yeah. not, Irenaeus isn't making this up. Um, but I think, yeah, primarily what we want to be thinking about is reversal. And that becomes especially clear when you read Revelation, where the end of the story is we're all in a garden of Eden where God is present. Right. And you have right. the trees and you have the river of life and that's all there. And so it's it's reversal, but, but even more so, it's even better than it was. Um, and so what, what are the things that, uh, according to the Old Testament, go wrong? With Adam, what what happens because right. of Adam's sin? Well, and and what I think that maybe even before what the bad news is is what was the original good news? What was what was uh, like what was creation like before the bad yeah. news? What what, what 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 did we lose? Yes. So, um, well, for one thing, we don't know about sin in that state, right? Yeah. The primordial state. Um, we walk with God. And speak with God personally without any filters or barriers. Um, we have eternal life, although it seems to be conditional. It's not something yeah. that we have inherently. It's something that we have because of the relationship that we have with God. Uh, there's as a great well book. as the the tree of life. Yes, yeah, and the, yeah, and the tree of life is this sort of representation. And, and you know, it's always hard sometimes to say, okay, especially in primordial history, what's symbolic and what's literal and how does this right. all fit together? But for all intents and purposes, this is the story and this is how we'll tell it. Um, right. Yes. So, but the, the tree, the, the fruit is doing something too, where, uh, you know, they, the, to suggest that, that they continue to eat of it means that it's not something that, that the life that it brings is not something that they have inherently. It's something they're taking in. Uh, yeah. and, and that's, that's on the, on the grace of God. Yeah. Um there's a great quote from Athanasius that I didn't include in my notes where he talks about um, how, you know, because of because of the sin, we revert back to where we were before, which is we revert back to non-existence, essentially. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, so, so we talked about union with God. We talked about eternal life. We talked about sin not being there. Um, uh, we're also not slaves to Satan. <laughs> uh, yeah. We're under Satan's kingdom. So another thing I think is that we have a vocation or we have a job to yes. do. So Adam and Eve are given this job to do alongside God and they are to participate. You know, it's not, you know, God up here and them down here. He walks with them. They work together. Um, the idea of the image of God, I think, is is likely one that's lifted from an ancient Near Eastern context where a king would leave after he conquered a, a village or a country or whatever city, he would leave an image of himself. And that image was supposed to represent his presence in the place. And it yeah. means, don't forget, this is mine. <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, I'm here in a sense. And so as as bearers of the image of God, men and women are supposed to be uh, sort of serving as like God's representatives. So we are there as images of God. Uh, we are sort of gods in a way. That's, that's what we're yeah. sort of meant to be. Um, 
and th th there's a biblical context that makes sense of that. So don't take that in, in the wrong way if you're listening. <laughs> right. uh, One of the things that I was going to mention is I've also been spending a lot of time in ancient cosmology and hmm. um, Genesis, and especially the, the 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 Near Eastern, ancient Near Eastern thoughts. And one of the things that was pointed out by um, I forget the the author that he pulled it from, but Tim Mackey was talking about was that the idea of the image of God was also something that was confined to a single person. So it was um, oh, like just one, right. So it was just the king that had the, the image of God or had the job of the image of God. Whereas the Genesis account directly uh, debated that and called it into question and said, no, this is everyone. Yeah, men and women and everyone. Yeah, and, and so th there are, of course, different different perspectives about where the image idea comes from. So the one I, I, I cited, I think, comes from John Walton, and I'm trying to remember, or is at least made popular by John Walton. And, and I, I'm familiar that's with That's who I'm talking about. As well. Yeah, yeah that, that's who he was talking to, John Walton. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> um, so yeah, but so these are all sort of backgrounds of, of, of possible significances of the image of God. But yeah, the I guess the other thing that I think is worth mentioning is I talked about alienation from God, but alienation from each other. So, yeah. um, so Adam and Eve are are united, right? And mm -hmm. you know, in fact, Eve is is part of Adam, right? Yeah. And so, um, but then as soon as you know the thing, the sin happens, they immediately begin blaming each other, turning on each other. Uh, within a generation, humans are killing each other. Um, yeah. A few generations later, they're they're enslaving each other and taking on polygamy, so they can try to own men, can try to own women. Um, so you, yeah, you've got a lot that goes wrong and, and, and there's that alienation from each other where we start to hurt each other and enslave each other and abuse each other and use each other. Um, that, that also emerges. So that's not supposed to be what we're, what we're meant for either. Right. Right. Well, it's, it's interesting. Like I said, I've been looking into some of the ancient cosmology stuff and a lot of the, the other ideas, the Egyptian, the, uh, Sumerian Babylonian ideas of creation which, by the way, I just need to talk about their ideas and how um, Genesis uh, is in direct conflict with those in some other episode because it's so fascinating to me. Mm. Um, so, like, one of the things, one of the big differences is all of those um, ideas came out of, uh, you know, violence. The world was created out of violence and the, mm. the using of body parts of destroyed enemies to create the world yeah and usually I, gods are fighting each other right and, and, and killing each other and um yeah yes right is and there, there there are these other you know little interesting tidbits here and there um but uh the beauty of genesis is that it's not a god that had to fight to create he was a storyteller he was an artist and he created you know and that's that's a beautiful idea to me is that he didn't have to fight to bring order out of chaos. And that's, a, that's one of those big things within that, that culture at that time was they didn't perceive things as, um, they would not have perceived nothingness in the same way that we will, we would. Mm. We're very scientifically minded. Whereas theirs was like, they would use uh, one big idea of nothingness was deep in tumultuous waters. The other was desert. And it, it, there's so much, I could go so much in yeah. this, but um, it's so amazing because the good news in the beginning was that God created us to commune with him, with other people. And one of the things that's very, that's the first, cur the, the big, one of the curses that comes out of the fall, which we need to get into, but it's a disconnection from the ground, from the earth, mm. from 
nature. And it's so interesting to me. I, I remember we were looking through notes. I'd said the concept of slavery isn't um, just tied to humans. It's also tied to the earth. The word work that they use is actually the same root of that they use for the word slavery. And so even the earth is under our dominion in a, in a negative way. And uh, if you look later on in the canon, uh, you, you hear talk of s Sabbath or Shabbat for people, but you also have Shabbat for the ground. And mm -hmm. so it's, it's that, that intermingling of uh, connection, even with the earth that we don't have now. Yeah. That sucks. <laughs> well, yeah. And so yeah, you talked about rest that the land will get to a rest every seven years. So you're, they're not supposed to continue to work it, but there's another, right. there are other connections to land as well in the old Testament, primarily that, we tend to think of sacrifice in the Old Testament as um, the, the the Israelite would bring the sheep or whatever. Um, he, it would be sacrificed and his sins would be forgiven. Right. But that's actually not generally what you read. <laughs> what you yeah. read is that the blood purifies the temple. So the idea is that the land and the space and the temple are being weighed down in some sense by the sins. It's it's And so God can't dwell there. It's not a pure right. place. And so uh, so what's really fascinating is that the sacrifices that are offered are not to make the offerer clean. They're to make the place clean. They're to make the land clean because God yeah. can't dwell there if the land is, is, is you know, is impure. Um, which, incidentally, if you fall that into the New Testament, uh, we are the temple. Yeah. Right? No, and it's so great. Maybe, yeah. We are being purified so that God can dwell in us. Yeah. And so that <laughs> we can therefore go and and pure it's it's so good man when you uh, this is why i'm this is why i get so frustrated when people say something about not reading the old testament is like you're missing out like how do you talk about the new testament and the concept of people as temple or tabernacle that 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 goes throughout the world and creates new tabernacles and temples out of other i mean like how do you missing that context is so sad because it's this beautiful story but let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. So, well, actually, real quick, but before you move on, yeah, I, I just want to mention two two resources for people who are interested in your idea of how um, Israel cosmo uh, cosmology, cosmology, ancient cosmology, ancient yeah, Israelite cosmology varies from their neighbors. So sometimes they'll actually take an idea or a symbol and they'll twist mm -hmm. it. It's called like yep. a polemical use. And there are two resources that, that I would like to uh, point to. One is by a professor I had named John Oswalt, O-S-W-A-L-T, called The Bible Among the Myths. Mm -hmm. And the other is by an author named John Currid, C-U-R-R-I-D, and it's called Against the Gods, The Polemical Theology of the Old Testament. Yeah, um, I, I have I have a I'm, – I'm reading John I, – I downloaded a bunch of John Walton books mm, not that long ago. And he's so great, too. The, so that's 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 what I'm going to be digging into after I finish this next book yeah. that I'm or this book that I'm in right now. But the Lost World of Adam and Eve and the Lost World of Genesis One by yeah. John H. Walton. I, I read his. I think I read the Lost World of uh, Genesis Two and Three, but I haven't I haven't read one yet. <laughs> Dude, I I'm I, he made so this like I said I would love to go into this in depth at some point because it's so fascinating to me. But there are so many things, little ideas and ways that he frames stuff and th that we talk about stuff and understanding the, the ancient Near Eastern mind that it, it, it just goes to show that we have drastically misread so many things in Genesis because we think in our current modern day scientific mind, 
when that is not what they were talking about. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and you know, I, I don't blame somebody who's trying to sort of figure out how does this fit with that, right? So, right. You know, insofar as the scientific narrative is trustworthy, and you know, of course, scientists make right. mistakes and whatever, but ultimately, there's a lot that's valid there that seems trustworthy and, and, and arrived at through evidence. But how does that fit with this other thing? And so right. I think that, that that's a fair question to ask, and, and it's sometimes a difficult question to answer. Um, but um, but yes, I, I think we have to sort of start by sort of saying, what is the context where this makes sense? What, what's their context? Right. What is What are they arguing against in the culture around them? What, um, what are they trying to, what's the basically the main point that's trying to be argued? Yeah. What question um, was being answered? Yeah, you got it. And a lot of that has to do with who rather than it does about exactly how. Sure. <laughs> right. So, yeah. So, I mean, the days of Genesis, do you say we have to take them literally? We're not taking God seriously. Um, or do you look at the, the fact that like one, two and three parallel four, five and six, where in one, two and three, God makes the space for the creatures yeah. and in four, five and six, he makes the creatures. And so there's maybe this message about God creating this, this, this beautiful, uh, basically God provide, providing God being a provider right. for all the things that he creates, that he creates this good world where everything has a place. Uh, you know, you can take it. You can also do both if you want, if you want to take it literally and sort of yeah. get squeezed the metaphorical uh, symbol out of it. Uh, you can do that as well. But uh, ultimately, the goal is to try to take the Bible seriously. Um, yeah. And I and, you know, it's it's weird to me that people don't want to do that really on both sides. Right. So you have yeah. you know, like young earth creationists sometimes who, um, you know, maybe are, are, are reading in a context that may not be totally relevant. I'm um, trying yeah. to force two things to fit together in a certain way. Um, but like in Unhitched, I, I was writing about these, you know, kind of more, in many cases, kind of more liberal theologians who were basically trying to sort of force uh, their own view of Jesus onto the Old Testament. And they weren't right. reading the Old Testament in, in, in the context in which the authors meant it to be understood, uh, yeah. and which, which, of course, Jesus doesn't like that because Jesus takes the Old Testament very seriously. So you've got to take the Bible seriously if you're going to say you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, you don't have to. But, yeah. um, but, if, you, but if you are, then you do. Yeah. So to to sum up, somewhat sum up Genesis is and the, the original state is we have what amounts to a cosmic temple that is Eden. That is yeah. Earth in a sense. And well, it, that's Eden. And we have the vocation as imagers of God to spread this temple throughout the land. Right. Yeah, it seems to be centralized in Eden, right? And so, right. where's the rest of the world? Adam and Eve are banished from Eden, right? So they go into the world and they don't see the same thing. Yeah, there's something significant there. Um, but yes, ultimately that is supposed to spread, but it, but it, it doesn't by the time the fall happens. Yeah, and so we lose connection. We give way to violence. We give way to slavery. We give way to darkness and death in ways that God never wanted. Um, we lose our connection to God in a big way. Um, and we also lose connection to, I, I would say, to our own um, our own design, our own need, our own desires. We, we lose what God called very good, and instead we have violence and bloodshed yeah. and, and death. Yeah. C.S. Lewis called it the argument from desire that mm. – um, you know, uh, when a man is in the desert and he's thirsty, it's because water exists. Now, it may not be present where he's at. He may not be able to get to it, but he's created with this need. And the fact that there's a need means that there's a fulfillment, um, right. or at least at least in theory, right? They're supposed to be. 
Um, and he, he sort of turns that and looks at, at God and he says, you know, we have this need for meaning. We have this need for um, um, belonging. And, you know, we, 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 we long for the end of pain and sickness and death. Uh, yeah. What does that mean? Where does that desire come from? Um, so like eternity yeah, written in our hearts. Yes, eternity written in our hearts. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> so that's what we lost. We lost, we lost, uh, perfection seems like a lot, a word that a lot of theologians don't love as much mm. as I do. Well, Wesley and Methodists <laughs> love it because they believe in, uh, <laughs> that's, that's the key word they use for, for growth and sanctification is perfection. Yeah, but go on. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but just a lot of the ones that I'm reading is they don't love it because a lot of times the words that we use as perfection, like I, we were talking about this with Glenn next week. Um, but, uh, there are a lot of words that I find are not super helpful that mm -hmm. we have inserted. Like, not that these ideas aren't, can't be understood with these words, but uh, like what they were talking about is a lot of times the word, when we say perfection, a lot of the analogs are closer to the concept of completion within mm -hmm. the Hebrew text. And so I, that's why I say that. But like, I would say perfection is a much easier word to deal with, whereas words like hell, or heaven, or um, well, even sin. I think a lot of people misunderstand that concept completely as well, mm -hmm. um, or that completely, almost completely, um, because they they try to make it into this one thing, one tiny, and that that's the problem. Is they're not they they a lot of times they pull a lot of people will pull out a truth that's only a tree within a forest, and you, if you don't pull back and look at the forest, you're missing so much yeah um i don't know why i said all of that but <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, the, the discussion of perfection made me think of um uh not to do too much self-promotion but i i did a podcast uh, a year ago about uh and i titled it be perfect surely you can't be serious i am serious and don't call me Shirley." uh and it's <laughs> it's actually basically based on a, a kind of a, a both an old and new testament word study on the concept of perfection and similar words that are used and, and what they mean. Right. Um, and so that does help us to understand how Jesus can say, uh, be perfect, even as your uh, father in heaven is perfect. Um, right. But yeah, but, but context is important. You got to understand it in, in, in that context and what it means. And uh, yeah. So we are out of the garden. Mm -hmm. We have lost um, not our mandate, but it's been muddied. We are, are, our desires, our um, dispositions, our actions are marred by sin, and by does in in like insofar as in which I think we need to talk about something before this, but not long after um, God created order and brought order out of chaos, He returned the earth to chaos in the flood. Mm -hmm. And had felt he needed to undo what what he had done by creating us. So I feel like that is that the place where we should talk about the who's controlling the world, what's going on. Yeah, and actually, as you were talking about that, I, I was thinking along those lines as well, um, which is that one of the things that does happen um, is that Satan. So instead of us ruling alongside God. Uh, and there's, there's different ways to think about this. There's a scholar named Eugene Merrill, I believe it's Merrill, who um, argues that basically what happens is uh, that we give up our divine right 
to rule with yeah. God and hand it over to Satan. And that's his explanation for how, uh, by the time you get to the New Testament, uh, when Satan is tempting, trying to tempt Jesus, and he says, you know, look at all these nations of the world. They belong to me. I give them to whomever I want. Well, wait a second. Where did he get this? Uh, and and, and Meryl's saying this happens at the fall. Basically, we give up that right to rule with God, and it goes right. to Satan. Now, maybe that's what happens. It's, it's a little unclear from the text, but something happens where we do lose that, um, yes. and it's, it's transferred to something else. Now, there's another story as well um, after the flood at, at Babel that is reflected on in Deuteronomy 32, verses 8 and 9, um, where it's explained that uh, God picks Israel as a special people, and the mm -hmm. nations he kind of splits up and gives to these beings called the sons of God, um, yes. who are these, you know, uh, lesser, you could call them lesser gods, I suppose, but they're basically high-level angels. Uh, mm -hmm. And then they do a terrible job, and then before you know it, they seem to be working for Satan. So... Um, how exactly is it you know, the, the Bible doesn't give us complete, it's, it's hard to know exactly how those two stories fit together. Um, mm -hmm. You know, do they say, hey, we're on the same team, it seems, let's work together. Uh, or, well, or, or what? I liked, I liked how Michael Heiser put it in his book, The Unseen mm -hmm. Realm, because he talked about how um, there, there was a twin rebellion. Yes. There was the rebellion in the garden, and then there was the rebellion, you know, the Deuteronomy 30, 32. There's that rebellion as well. So, oh wait, are we talking about the Genesis, uh, the Genesis six rebellion, or the? Well, all, well, that's the thing. There, were, it, it seems that there was a Genesis six as well. Um, yeah. But there's this this rebellion that is happening both in the spiritual realm as well as on Earth. Yeah, with with men. So Genesis six yeah. is a good place to kind of look at that as well. Yeah, and and it's it seems that there's, you know, lots of kind of rebellions that are happening, right? So there is yeah, there's a rebellion. Um, with with satan that seems to happen before the human rebellion uh mm -hmm. there are the rebellions of the sons of god in genesis 6 who take on human bodies and have sex with women yeah, um gross. Uh, and um let's see here we also have the rebellion of the sons of god who are given sovereignty over the nations and then they mm -hmm. abandon what their what their job is supposed to be uh although um there, there are intertestamental writings that say that god picks those angels to lead the nations because he wants them to be deceived. It's written from an Israelite perspective where they see that God wants to punish the nation. So he, he puts, he gives them bad guidance. Uh, but, yeah. but, but the other perspective and the one that I think Heiser is supportive of, um, and it seems to be suggested in Paul's speech at Mars Hill in the book of Acts is that God is actually trying to create this sort of world where even outside of Israel, uh, we can kind of grasp and find him. You know, Paul quotes right. these pagan poets who seem to have this sensus divinitatis, this the sense of the divine, uh, and they almost get it right, right? Yeah. Um, and but but so anyway, that yeah, that's this is all part of the bad news. I don't want to jump forward too much to the good news, but basically, um, we're all dying. We're slaves to sin. We're alienated from God. We're alienated from each other. We're alienated from the land. God uh, has disowned us, um, yeah. and and we belong to Satan. And we're under his polit political authority, basically. Yeah. Um, and so then by the time you get to like the book of Daniel, um, you're reading that these, uh, Daniel calls princes, these angelic beings mm -hmm. are behind the scenes in empires that Mecca, all the, you know, the prince of Persia is coming. And after him, him, the, the prince of Greece will come. And he's talking about the, the fall of one empire and the rise of another. And all this is going on behind the scenes. And it doesn't mean God's not sovereign, uh, but it does mean that he's allowing humans and other spiritual beings to have meaningful, to make meaningful choices, right? 
Yeah. Uh, but this all has to go somewhere. God has to intervene at some point and fix yeah. it. And that, that's what's so fascinating to me is I, I forget his, some, someone was, I was talking, we were talking to Brad and he, they had, people had asked us, um, we had an AMA and someone had asked, um, what's a, um, like a red pill or a conspiracy that's a bridge too far for you that you can't buy into. And he was like, I'm almost there with the reptilian thing, but I can't quite come over that hump. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, I don't know what David Icke's, uh, explanation of this is i'm probably never going to read it um but the idea of a reptilian style being that is leading the earth is is something i'm kind of i i get that because i've read genesis <laughs> you it, know? Yeah, it feels symbolically correct even if not literally yeah. correct yeah. well and 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 i i can't wait till we talk because uh, we're gonna there are so many things that are in my head right now we're gonna talk about trees in a little bit because I, it, it, there's some important symbolism that goes on. Um, Talking about smoking trees? No, nah, not 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 today. That that's, <laughs> that that was more Jessica's bag. Yeah, I was, yeah she's not um, here yet. <laughs> she she said she'll be here. She she just got out of church and she's yeah. on her way. So when, when, when she pops in, we'll say, "Man, this show really got away from us. We've been talking about pot the entire time." <laughs> so it's interesting because we have where we are is uh in with, with still within genesis is a world that is beyond the pale god even decreated and the flood came to try to curb this evil and yet despite the angelic rebellion in genesis 6 where the the sons of god slept with the sons of men sons of adam daughters, like, of, daughters, that, daughters of men daughters yeah daughters yeah. of men i'm <laughs> yeah. oh, sorry i went c.s lewis didn't i <laughs> oh yeah and also i think i said sons as well yeah you did you have the sons. <laughs> maybe they did that too i don't know yeah. not that there's anything wrong no but you have you have this paradigm that we're in where or that they were in where there are these burgeoning and growing um anti-god institutions little states that pop up Babylon's. I think Babylon is such that I describe myself as anti-Babylon more than I would say the word libertarian or anarchist or anything like that. I don't, I don't really need that. I'm just against Babylon because I've seen what Babylon does. I've seen what Babylon does and I don't want to be a part of it in any way, but we're live. they're living in this paradigm. And in Genesis, um, there's a promise that's made to Adam and his wife. And I, you know what? I may bring up these pictures because I think they're so great. They came from the the Bible project and I screenshot mm. them because I was like, I love this. Um, let's see. Sorry for doing that. So um, it, it's just so cool. Um, let me download these. But we've got this, this situation where um, there's, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I just love these photos so much um these these drawings but they do incredible art at the yeah, oh. it makes it really cool to watch my uh now nine-year-old daughter uh, started going to bed to bible project videos around seven and picked up a lot oh man they're 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 so great there there it is so oh my gosh are you kidding me i can't even share it because chrome lost the ability to capture my screen but i can do let's see if i do eh Nope. Well, let me do it. What the devil? 
Oh, I'm so annoyed. I am so annoyed, dude. I was going to say why you're podcasting. Looking, yeah, I was going to say why you're looking for that. I, was, I, I can I can tell a story. Yes, about go talk, talk. Think, yes, maybe maybe she was six. Anyway, two or three years ago, uh, I heard uh, kind of this loud splashing in the shower, and I kind of just peeked my head into the door and said, "Hey, everything okay in there?" And she said, "Yes, I'm splashing uh, the water on the sides of the bathtub like the like the Israelite priests used to do with the blood on the temple." <laughs> uh, anyway, she she picked up some things. That's awesome. Yeah. Anyway, but yes, but the, but the art is really cool. There's a lot of good information. I don't always agree with every every, every point of theology, but there's a lot of good stuff in the Bible Project. Uh, I'm okay, so I can't show you. I will have to to figure out a way to do this in another way. Um, but there's this. There are these gorgeous paintings that they did, and so uh, two of the ways that they they show it is there's this uh, dark coiled snake that's around the world coiled around it in this evil posture and then they also have one where it's coiled around the human heart and so it's this 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 is the world that we were living in because of what happened in eden the mistake the sin the the usur the attempt at usurping the power of god that happened in eden and then they have these other photos and these 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 paintings that are beautiful and it's the promise that uh you know he curses the snake to the ground the serpent to the ground the devil to the ground um and he talks about how there will be great enmity between the woman and the serpent and that the serpent will bite us at his heel and the man will crush the skull of the serpent and this is the first promise in the bible of what would come through with jesus right and yeah, it's that they, early. Yeah, they, they call it the proto-evangelium, uh, which means the, the, the gospel before the gospel. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's. I wish I could share these photos. They're so beautiful. Um, but I can't. Yeah. Um, and so we, we, we're in this place. They're in this place where death has taken over. And death is the horrible enemy. Death is the antithesis of what we were made for. You know, not that we, not that it wasn't conditional to be, alive forever but that was what we were made to do we were made to live in this this uh, paradigm and god starts his res rescue mission and where does the rescue mission begin i'll let if, if you want to go ahead and talk about that first that first head as it were yeah so one thing i'm trying to look at the clocks i'm trying to because this is a pretty long podcast is it an hour and a half or two hours about yeah we're good okay because i don't want to speak too quickly and then have nothing to say. We start talking about, I don't know, Abraham. Uh, so, yeah, we can talk about Abraham, but I actually, I think it might be kind of interesting. Would it be interesting? Yes, I think it would be. <laughs> I decided it would be interesting. And you can tell me if I'm wrong. Okay. Um, that I actually would kind of like to look at the word, the way that the, the New Testament uses the word gospel. Okay. Is that cool? Because that, yeah. that helps us fill out a little bit. We got the background of it. We have a sense yes. of what the problem was. So then how, is, how does the word get used? Right. And it's it's popular to say, and largely correct, that the, Jesus uses the word differently than Paul, and that evangelicals okay. are using sort of Paul's definition. Um, and that's, that's kind of true in a sense. What they're usually focusing on is when Paul uses the word gospel and applies it to personal salvation. Right. You know, believe on the name of the Lord and you'll be saved kind of stuff. Right. Um, and Jesus uses the word... Uh, 
So I'll talk about the way Jesus used the word first. Okay. So uh, the, he preaches the gospel or the gospel of the kingdom, right? Right. Um, and he talked that, about the kingdom more than anything else that he ever he preached he, about. Yeah. And the gospel is often that word is often joined to the word kingdom. And so uh, he's as he's preaching it, often he's healing the sick, which is pretty mm -hmm. interesting because it's, it's there's this connection here between the good news and the healing of the sick. Um, Mark, who uh, is probably our earliest gospel, he seems to link the gospel message with the coming kingdom of God, uh, which is prophesied in the Old Testament. And uh, as a result of this uh, coming kingdom, uh, we're supposed to repent, turn around uh, in order to take part in. Uh, and so, for, so for example, uh, Mark 1, 14 through 15, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Right. Right. Um, chapter four of Luke, uh, Jesus strongly connects social restoration with his coming. And he quotes from the prophet Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the Jubilee, basically. Today, mm -hmm. that scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So here, good news is something that's preached to the poor. It's preached to people who've been enslaved, people who have been blinded. Uh, those who have uh, who are being uh, ruled over, right? Right. And so and he's reversing the curse. Yeah. So there's a strong social dimension, uh, but there's also sickness and blindness. So there's, the, there's these sort of physical things that are wrong, uh, what you call natural evils. Uh, so that's pretty interesting, right? So like I said, Paul uses the word a little bit closer to the way that evangelicals do. So evangelicals will kind of define the gospel as something like uh, Jesus Justification. Died. Yeah, or Jesus died for your sins. Yeah. Right. And so uh, while the idea of Jesus dying for our sins is in the Gospels, uh, they, they do talk about it a little bit, it comes up, it's not defined as the Gospel, right. which is really interesting. So why are if, if this is the Gospel, that's it, full stop, shut your mouth if you say anything else, how come the Gospels never say that's the Gospel? How come Jesus never says this is the Gospel? Right. Jesus why is saying do, something bigger. It, yeah, and what, and what do we, what is the Gospel, and what are the Gospels? Is yeah. kind of an important question at this point because the 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 synoptics as well as John are a single gospel told by four different men, mm -hmm. and so if we're describing the gospel and we don't include all of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in the very least, we're missing huge swaths of it. Yeah. So it was the healing of the sick. It was. Yeah. You know, yeah, and, and and it's not just the Gospels, but the Old Testament is also part of it, right? Because right. I think it's Scott McKnight who says, and I think correctly, that the Gospel is the story of Israel resolved in the story of Jesus. Yeah. Right? So you need yeah. both of it in order for it to make sense. Um, so, but yeah, so, you know, when Paul used the word Gospel, the, the, um, he says that what he is saying is a little bit closer to what we say. Um, like he defines it in Romans 1.16 as the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, both Jew and Gentile, right? Mm -hmm. um, he also uh, connects it to, it's, it's the saving belief that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and was buried and raised on the third day. That sounds kind of close to what evangelicals say. Um, yeah. And also the abolition of death and the bringing of immortality, which sounds kind of like what evangelicals say when they talk about eternal life. Although, um, uh, I, you know, we, we've talked about hell a little yeah. bit in the past. It seems that yeah. there's a strong connection with Jesus defeating death and bringing immortality, and that before he does that, there is no immortality. But anyway. Right. Um, One of the so, things that I thought Scott McKnight brought up that was very interesting was that there seems to be a problem in churches that call themselves 
evangelical when the correct word that would be best that would best describe them is actually soterians rather than mm -hmm. evangelicals and I found that to be a fascinating point because, you know, soter soteriology is, you know, the study of salvation. It's how we understand salvation. And so since they are firmly within only speaking of that particular point as the gospel, as the good news, then it's, they're calling them evangelicals means that they, you, you would think it would include the entire story, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I would even go further than McKnight because I think the Bible uses the word salvation in a broader sense than, you know, individual yeah, salvation, yeah. right? Yeah. So even that's not really a perfect word. It's, it's you know, they're, they're individual salvationists um, yeah. and justificationists, <laughs> um, right? So, um, but, but so, okay, so, so Paul does use the word kind of like evangelicals do, but he doesn't only use it that way. Right, so he and he's using it in specific contexts. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's correcting something. Yeah, it, but but for him, I think the gospel is a little bigger than just individual salvation, yes. than just eternal life, than just Jesus died for our sins, um, because he also connects it with reconciling Jew and Gentile through yes. the cross. Um, he connects it with God judging the world through Christ. Mm -hmm. He connects it with Jesus as Lord, uh, which is that kingdom of God thing, right? Um, right. He 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 uh, he uses the word gospel in conjunction with all the nations being blessed through Abraham. So it's going out past the Jews into the whole the whole world. Um, he even connects it with Jesus being a descendant of David. That's part mm -hmm. of Paul, uh, that's part of Paul's gospel. So he thinks that it's important that you know what David did and what he was symbolic, what why he was symbolically significant and how God used him. Um, how the Psalms even speak about David, I think, is important. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, it issues out in obedience and generosity from those who believe it. That's in Second uh, Corinthians nine thirteen. So part of Paul's gospel is. Um, that if you believe it and you're changed by it, you'll obey Christ and you'll be generous. Um, right. So that's also not just, well, I, I said a prayer one day when I was five and now I'm saved. Um, yeah. So I think even Paul has a broader understanding of gospel than many evangelicals attribute to him, even though he also talks about a lot of the things that evangelicals like. And right. you know, for, for broad-based definitions, you can call me an evangelical or a Protestant because I'm kind of more, I'm in that, but, but yeah. I, I also, I don't, I don't, I'm not satisfied with um, just kind of focusing on one stream of what the gospel is and saying that's the gospel because it is. Yeah. And it's always hard because like when it comes to the, what we're talking about here, the gospel as a whole, rather than as a specific part, like I am, I think evangelical is a great word for it because I want to tell the whole gospel. I want, and it's, it, I feel like there's so many people who throw the baby out with the bathwater yeah. in so many of these situations. Like a, a couple of times this week in our, uh, you know, conversations over messages, I've been like, you know, there, here's another thing that's become a binary. You have to believe this or you're not a Christian or you don't believe the gospel. And it's like, I'm so tired of it. Like, we believe in the gospel. Let's talk about it. <laughs> you know, like, wh why do we have to separate over your specific favorite theologian from, you know, the Middle Ages definition of this or that? Why do we have to do that? Why, why can't we talk about the heart of the gospel and the whole gospel, which is the entire canon. Yeah. It's all there. Yeah. This is only partially relevant. I'm, I'm going to mention it because we were talking about the new perspective. Um, and you're talking about medieval theologians made me think of it. Um, I'm doing some work on, on the works of the law, this idea in Paul and Galatians. 
that mm-hmm. new perspective and old perspective people people fight over. And I've found some really fascinating stuff in early church and medieval fathers uh, commentaries on Galatians that really <laughs> kind of blows apart those distinctions. But um, yeah, so uh, but once again, that's one of those issues where the old perspective is looking at like Luther's view that basically the gospel right. and salvation has to do with, um, uh, you know, you're saved by faith alone, right? Right. And, and no works. Whereas the new perspective people say, no, no, the gospel is about removing barriers for Gentiles to get in. Well, it's about both. Sorry to tell right. you, it's about both. Yeah. And <laughs> so, so you, you can't just pick one. Um, right. You know, it's it's not it's not like a bag of jelly beans where you, I, you know, I just want the very cherry, please. No, yeah. you, 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 you know. Get that popcorn out of here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you've got to eat the popcorn too. It's part of it. Yeah, but you eat it separate. Yeah. You got to eat it's, it together. It is good. I love, <laughs> I love, I love the popcorn jelly beans. But yeah. if you do one of those right after a cherry, it's like, what did I? What just happened? Yeah, I think I think we're breaking the metaphor, Cam. Well, I think we are because I think I think the gospel is not a, a little box of Bernie Bot's jelly beans with snot flavor. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> that that is true. Also, yes. Um. So anyway, yeah. So it's it, it it is bigger now. Um, I feel like there was something else somewhere else you were going, and I didn't want to lose it. <laughs> <laughs> that's um, that's gonna happen. It is gonna happen. <laughs> um. So, but but you know, we did talk about the way that the word is used in the Old Testament in the Roman right. context, the imperial context. We talked about the way what it's connected to in the New Testament, and we also talked about um, how the gospel is a reversal of all the bad stuff. But we didn't really go into detail, so we could do that yeah. unless you there's something else you do- want to talk about. I, I feel like uh, speaking of you know the recapitulation and the you know reheading of things, I think it is interesting that when you talk about the gospel and like you said, uh, Paul made it a point to tell Gentiles that Jesus was connected to David and connected to Abraham. Yeah. And so there's this there's this entire story of God putting these different heads, these different people to help progress towards jesus right yeah yeah and so since we're talking a little bit about the significance of the old testament um, i'll mention it one of the um the authors who i interact who i interact with an unhitched um mm-hmm. that's where i get the term from it's it's a uh oh gosh what's his name i don't oh crap am i really gonna do this uh <laughs> andy stanley okay andy yeah. stanley wrote this book leadership guy yes you got it a big mega church pastor uh so andy stanley wrote this book where he was arguing um, that we need to simplify the gospel, unhitch it from the Old Testament, because the Old Testament gives people a hard time. They don't always know what to do with all the stories. And so let's just give them a real simple, easy gospel. And so one of the, um, which to him is, is basically the, the first Corinthians 15, you know, Jesus died and was buried and resurrected. So one of the examples he points to is Paul at Mars Hill, where he's preaching to the pagans. And, um, so, you know, in his whole thing about let's make it easy to digest, um, he points out, well, you know, there's not a record of Paul really going into the Old Testament that much. Um, he does a little bit because he talks yeah. about God making all men from one. So there's Adam. Um, but he doesn't talk about David or whatever in Marcel, at least as it's recorded in Acts. Maybe he does. Right. But, but what's what's funny that Andy Stanley kind of leaves out is that at the end of it, Paul mentions the resurrection of the dead. And everybody goes, okay, I'm clearing out of here. This is, you know, we don't want our Let's physical bodies. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, they don't do that there. They don't do that there, thankfully. But, but they, um, but but they're basically, like, you know, we, you know, we're smart guys. We read Plato. We know that the body is a prison. You know, yeah. and so for for Paul, Paul, the, the, Paul is not 
going to give you, I mean, he, he wants, of course, to tailor, to sort of focus on something that's relevant. He uses the example of the unknown God he finds a statue to. And he mm -hmm. says, this is the God that I'm proclaiming to you. So he's got a hook. He, he's going to make it can, he's going to make it relevant to their context, but he's also not afraid of the whole story. He's not afraid to tell the story yeah. of the, the resurrection, the gospel of the resurrection. Um, yeah. And even if it means he's going to lose them. And, right. and so anyway, it's, it, I thought anyway, that, I thought that was, no, funny. well, no, it's, it, it's really cool. It's like, I, I hear you say that Andy Stanley said that, and it's just like, so you're choosing not to be a teacher of the Bible. Yeah. Because it's like, that's, that's the whole point. If you're, it's what, you know, like, I don't agree with everything that Tim Mackey says, but the Bible project is so helpful because you get to start to look at the entire story and it makes the whole thing more simple to understand yeah. rather than just going, okay, let's, let's just ignore this bit yeah. and go straight. How do you, how do you ignore that bit? Yeah. How do you yeah. ignore yeah, I, I think that 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 what's called like the story approach to biblical theology is really powerful because it does yeah. make it all make sense together, you know. And, and yeah, absolutely. It's just it's just so sad to me that they would they would do that. But we've we, we've got this this track from you know Adam to to Christ, and it, it also he goes well, you know, on Mars Hill. Um, Paul didn't talk about Adam or, or Abraham, right? That's what you essentially said. He was like the Old Testament, essentially, is what he's arguing, yeah. Right, but but what about Peter when he went to the Gentiles' house? What about what about Stephen? Like, almost every other sermon goes into detail of essentially of the history of Israel and why this why this moment is important and why resurrection is important. How do you how do you try to I don't even understand it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, so I was, I was going to pull up the, where, where I talked about it. So I pointed out, so basically what Andy Stanley's saying is that the Mars Hill speech, we don't find any direct quotations of scripture. Okay, fine. It's also, it's a truncated speech. So maybe he quoted scripture. Yeah. We don't know that. Um, but, but we'll leave that aside. I was going to say, so what I say is regardless, Paul does refer to the unique idea revealed in God's dealings with Israel and recorded in the Hebrew Bible that one transcendent God made everything else that exists. He makes a reference to God creating from one man all of mankind. He also appeals to Old Testament divine council theology about God putting the nations of the world, except for Israel, under the superintendence of the angelic sons of God. In other words, the fact that he doesn't explicitly quote scripture here doesn't mean he isn't communicating foreign Jewish ideas to his audience. Paul yep. admittedly softens his cell by quoting pagan poets in a sermon, which seem to be saying things similar to the Old Testament writers. A phenomenon he explains is the result of God not being far from any of us. But Paul's sermon ends with a significant challenge to Stanley's apologetic method, and that's the resurrection bit. He's he's gonna he's gonna okay, here we go. I've got you hooked. I'm gonna give you this resurrection. That's what we're ending on. And they're like, yeah. we're out of here. So if, if you know, if only Paul had stuck with the Old Testament because they were tracking when he was talking about one man <laughs> creating all the nations and there being one God who's of everything. But then he had to mention the resurrection, and he lost him. <laughs> um, so if so only he would have stuck to the Old Testament. <laughs> <laughs> but no it's so through through this just to summarize the the history of israel is really interesting because if you look at a lot of old religions there aren't a lot of um paths made or reaching out to other people groups so like if you're if you if you were hindu you you're, you've got to be born in india 
You know, you have to be Indian to be a Hindu. If you, you know, you have all these, and, and that happens in a lot of different religions. But you see in Judaism this call to care about the immigrant. I mean, even like the story of of Hagar or Hagar. I don't know how you actually say that. Um, then her name means immigrant. I mean, it's it's, and so God brings the the covenant the covenant before the Mosaic covenant to Abraham. And says that Abraham's going to be a blessing, and his his family is going to be a blessing, not just to his family, but to the whole world. And so, even from the early stories of Abraham, you you see that God's doing more than just you know Israel. He's doing more than that. He's doing he's he's he has a plan for someone to step on the head of that serpent and to free the world, right? And so, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, you're, you're right. Yeah, and, and and sometimes it's not always right front and center, but like uh, I mentioned, at least one psalm. But there's a lot of psalms um, where where God is talking about bringing the nations. Isaiah sort of talks about that as well. Um, yeah. So God has there's all this sort of you know gesturing toward the fact that God has a bigger plan, and and it's even in in the promise to Israel or sorry to uh, right. to Abraham, right? That that yes. all the nations will be blessed through Abraham's seed. Um, yeah. And, you know, no, no, no offense to any Jewish folks or whatever, but, um, you know, I don't necessarily see the whole world being blessed through the nation of Israel apart from right. Christ. That seems to be pretty significant that the gospel, the message, uh, the fatherhood of God is opened to everyone, to the whole world through the yeah. gospel message through Jesus. Now, that being said, I love Mel Brooks and I love Seinfeld. Uh, but I, I don't. I don't know that that's the, the the God blessing the nations. That might not be. It might be bigger than that. He blessed us with curb your enthusiasm, and that's it. all that we get. Yeah, that's it. Fair <laughs> enough. So yeah, so you so you have Ab you have Adam, you have from his line and Eve's line. You have Abraham, you have David, and then you know David wants to be the one who who rules justly and. He, God doesn't even let him build the temple because his hands are so covered in blood. He has to wait. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, and, and it, that's complicated in, in a way because, of course, you know, when God has the you know the nation of Israel, it's not the spiritual kingdom of God that that all Jews and Gentiles now are a part of. Um, but not all Jews and Gentiles, but you know that Jews and Gentiles are now a part of. Um, it is a physical kingdom, right? And so there there are yeah. places where God is 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 commanding or okay with some violence but there's still this really interesting thing that happens right when it's time for the temple to be built he tells david you can't do it because your hands are stained with blood you're a warrior yeah um so that's pretty fascinating which i, I think that that maybe goes back a little bit to this idea in leviticus um that um something can be permissible uh in certain circumstances but it's also unclean in a way yeah right and right so i mean Look at look at uh, a woman's monthly yes. deal. There's nothing I sinful mean, about that. Not at all. It's yeah. just yeah, but it's it makes unclean. one ceremonially unclean, and right. and so there. But there is something that's really fascinating there when he looks at David and says, "Hey, you know, you're a king, you're a warrior. I was okay with it, but you can't build the temple. Your hands are stained with blood." Right. <laughs> yeah, and, and and so even in this rejection, you know, God tells david that through your line all nations will be blessed right yeah starting with solomon of course who builds the temple right right uh but yes but it goes it goes extends it extends beyond that but that's all part of the story right right and so from there from the kingdom of israel 
we have all sorts of stuff that happens to the Israelites. And so, and that's where um, a lot of like Daniel, um, Ezekiel, Isaiah, all of these prophets start talking about the son of man or this Messiah figure in, in one way or another about what God's doing because they no longer have a homeland. They've lost it. They were, t they were in exile from Babylon. And so they, they start digging into the word. They start praying and talking to God and God's giving them this, this new information that people wouldn't have seen before. And it's, it's, that is what leads into the second temple period mm -hmm. and Christ. Yeah. Do you want to fill in any blanks between <clears throat> then and there? Uh, I'll mention one thing because it's kind of my, um, my hobby horse, I guess you'd call it, um, okay. which is that as Israel is an exile, they start to really think about Babylon, this idea yes. of of uh, the kingdoms of of, of men uh, that are outside of God's you know direct purview or whatever, and um, you know Daniel talks about empires as beasts that God is one day going to slay and throw in the fire, yep. <laughs> and so there's this hope that it's not just you know we're going to go back to Israel. It's that this this rock that's not cut with human hands will come and destroy the idol of empire. It'll yeah. smash its feet that it will f come falling to the ground and crumble. Um, or Isaiah, when when um, Isaiah is talking about um, these pagan kings, he always not always, but at least Isaiah and Ezekiel both make a point to connect it with the story of Satan. Some of the details that we know about Satan come from uh, these. Um, uh, statements from Isaiah and Ezekiel where they're talking about pagan kings and they say, Hey, you remind me of somebody, somebody who thought who all somebody else who was a little too big for their britches and thought that they could be like God. And there's a critique right. there of empire that what you're saying is we're God, you know, not, not Yahweh. We are. Um, and uh, anyway, I, I, I got in a little trouble with a, with a friend recently uh, for, for making a comment sort of like that, but um, <laughs> who, who <laughs> in the military about, I said, said something about the oath, uh, to, to yeah, sort of yeah. say that, you know, I'll obey the president. It's like, well, what if he's wrong? What if God would have you do something else? Um, that's a little idolatrous in my opinion, but at the same time, I uh, don't disagree with you yeah. at all yeah. whatsoever. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that there, there is this commitment that we're supposed to have to God and not Babylon. Um, right. Yeah. Because Babylon is the thing that gets destroyed and we don't want to be part of it when it does. Yeah, and and I want to see it destroyed. Yes, I, I'm 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 exhausted by it. I'm exhausted by these figureheads and bobbleheads, really, of people telling me that I should be for this war or for this person's destruction, and I don't want that person's destruction at all. And I I don't think, and you know, this is I when I I like I someone I think it was uh, Chris Date posted the other day about how he, I think he read your book and he started thinking about uh, our relation to the state. And I was like, I just take the kingdom of God seriously. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be a part of Babylon. And that's that's all, I, that's all I'm going to say. I don't, I'm not going to tell you to go read Rothbard or anything <laughs> like that. I don't need to. Yeah. Like it, it's, it's, it seems to me to be self-evident. Yeah. Um, wait, I lost the train of thought I had. Um, man, something <laughs> about... It's okay. my good looks. I think I think it was I was looking at you and I lost track. Yeah, because I'm uh, handsome. Yeah, it was, it was like a shining light. Okay, um, so we were we were talking about how we've kind of gotten 
without, I mean, I, we can't spend seven hours talking about the road between Abraham sure. and Jesus, but we kind of got to that place, that inter intertestamental period. Uh, well, that's, but I, I guess what I mean is we had the, the period of the prophets um, and we had Daniel talking about um, these princes of Persia, of Greece. We have um, Isaiah 53 talking about the, the, the suffering servant. We have all of this buildup now. And uh, how do we want to flesh that out in this conversation? How do we, where do we want to go? Do we want to talk about that somewhat and then bash into Jesus or? Yeah. You know, I was, it's interesting. I was just thinking about how um, uh, the old Testament is split up in different ways uh, in Christian Bibles and Jewish Bibles. Uh, right. or, or we'll say Protestant and Jewish Bibles because uh, Catholic Bibles are, are a little different story. So Orthodox Bibles, yeah. but um, so Protestant Bibles end with Malachi, um, where it's, he's the last Hebrew prophet, and it talks about uh, you know the one who prepares the way for the Lord to come. And so there's this expectation of the Lord who's going to come, right? And yes. John the Baptist comes in the scene and says, "I'm the one who prepares the way." <laughs> um, so that's a really cool place for the Old Testament to end. But of course, Jews don't end it that way. End it that way. They end it in Second Chronicles, where there's the hope of the temple of God coming to reside again in His temple among His people. Mm -hmm. uh, and both of those are really interesting ways to kind of pave the way forward for what we find in Jesus. Um, yeah. And that that that's that image that we've talked about of God dwelling is is a pretty significant one because um, we have it in uh, Eden. We have it in the temple. Uh, we have it in sort of Israel in general, in a way. And then we get it in Christ. And then after Christ, we get it in us. We are now, not you, yes. not me individually, or, or you and me, just you and me, all Christians are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So it's about God making, basically coming down and dwelling with us. I think that the, the Bible project uses this image of, of the heaven and earth coming together. It's the sort of space yes. where they touch. And that's, the temple that's eden that's christ that's us yeah. um and so i i think that's a big part of that message is that uh we're trying to get heaven and earth back together again mm -hmm. uh permanently this time yeah um, so that i think is sort of the anticipation uh you know malachi is saying god is going to come he's going to come and dwell among his people uh and, and the second chronicles is saying the same thing um in a different way right yeah so that's the expectation because that's what we lost in Eden. It's that I, it's the ability to have God walk with us. Yeah. And to be complete. Yeah. Because we're terribly incomplete right now. But that, that comes with it, right? That's part of the package. Yeah. When, when, when you have God dwelling with you and in you and among you, uh, all the good stuff comes with it. Right. And so we've got, we're, so we're, after the exile, um, Hosea brings some people back to Israel. A, temp a temple goes up, right? Uh, um, not, not Hosea. Are you thinking of um, um, uh, there's Nehemiah and Ezra? Yeah, right. Sorry. Yeah. Not Hosea. My brain. I don't know why I go to Hosea. It's just one of my favorite stories. Yeah, it's one of those book. one of those really cool symbol yeah. symbolisms there. Sure. Um, I, I wanted yeah, to yeah. lift my uh, wedding vows from Hosea where he says, you'll live with me for uh, for many days and you'll, uh, you'll, you won't have sex with any other men. <laughs> something like that it's a, it's a great so little, yes yes yeah. ezra and nehemiah um temple is rebuilt the people are back in israel um cyrus the great i think i, I believe there's uh some talk of of him being you know kind of he's part of god restoring israel in some sense mm -hmm. yeah, um, God used him. but you, you you end up in judea 
in z- the you know year one, right? Mm-hmm. And you've got we're we're stuck in in these bad things. There are these bad things. There's death. There's slavery to sin. There's alienation from God and the land. Uh, God's disowned the nations, and Satan reigns over things. Mm-hmm. That's where we are. We're in, we're in the bad news. This is when the gospel starts to be fulfilled, right? Mm-hmm. So that's where. Do you want to go from there? Sure. Okay. Well, so what? Maybe. Uh, do you want me to take over? Yeah, <laughs> go that? for it, man. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll uh, go back and forth. Earlier, just summarizing. Yeah. <laughs> earlier, we kind of, I kind of gave this list, or we sort of put together this list of the things that um, went wrong in Adam: death and slavery to sin, alienation, yeah. God's disowning of the nations, Satan's reign over the nations. And so I, I, I've kind of pulled together a few scriptures that I thought were sort of relevant. So uh, we'll start with death. So death is defeated when Christ, the new Adam, obeys where Adam fell away. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all be made alive. He makes a similar point in Romans 6, 5. We die through our union with Adam, but we can live forever through our union with Christ. He says, For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So union with Christ is really important. We were united to Adam. We were part of his humanity. And we received from him the, the, the fountain the fountain of the humanity we had, death, destruction, sickness, uh, twisted relationships, <laughs> etc. Yeah. But now we are part of another humanity, and that humanity mm-hmm. is Christ. So there's a transfer that happens. So we die along with Christ, and we are raised back up with him so that death has no more power over us as it has no power over him. So we defeat Christ. Or sorry, we don't defeat Christ. We defeat death with Christ. No. Don't do that. That was the lizard people <laughs> talking through me. Um, so, um, so yeah, so that, that's, uh, let's see. Then we have sin, right? So uh, what do we do with sin? Well, our union with Christ frees us from our bondage to sin. So Romans uh, 6, uh, verse 6 says, uh, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we should no longer be slaves to sin. A few verses later, 18, he says, having been freed from sin, you become slaves. You became slaves of righteousness. Now, I understand uh, that neither death nor sin are something that probably you or I have completely uh, overcome in this life yet, but we are united to Christ. So it is something that that is coming and that follows. Um, And it also, I do think that there is a component here, and this is maybe my Wesleyan Methodist side speaking of, because we're united to Christ, because the spirit is in us, we actually do have the ability to resist sin. Um, oh, absolutely. Right. And so when we don't, it's our own, you know, darn fault. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but, I mean, but that's just a matter of logic, you know, yeah. like if, if I can, if I can sit here for a second and not sin mm-hmm. through Christ, I cannot sin right now. I'm not sinning. Then I could do it for the next second. Yeah. And I could do it for the next second. Sure, sure. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, yeah, uh, yeah that's, that, that seems so obvious to me. <laughs> so, yeah. So and there's that body of sin language that Paul uses too. It's, it's, it's really exciting and interesting and I won't get into it too much right now, but there's a parallel body of sin, body of Christ. We were part right. of the body of sin. We were in it together. Um, sin is one of those things. It's like, you know, people sort of say, like, how could, you know, um, all the, all the Germans uh, allow the, the Nazi party to reign or whatever. It's like, well, it's kind of one of those things that when you see your buddy doing it and your friend do it or your family do it, you don't, you feel, you don't want to speak up. 
And then everybody sees that. And then it sort of becomes that everything that you sort of all allow to happen, that you all sort of cooperate in. And it becomes this thing that's like this big snowball that just becomes overpowering. And that's the body of sin. That's this thing that we're trapped in. And um, but but we are called out of it. And so yeah. we're, we're called to not be slaves to sin any longer. Um, so there's the so that that's the, that's the sin component. We talked about alienation from God, others in the land. So, uh, you know, and it, as we, I think we sort of had said, you know, Adam and Eve are, are barred from Eden. That removes them from God's special presence. Um, for long, humans begin to kill and enslave one another. Uh, we even struggle to produce a living from the land. Uh, one of the curses in, in uh, Genesis 3 is cursed is the ground because of you. And sometimes we've even turned against it and polluted it. Um, uh, in fact, that's in, in the book of Revelation. Uh, people talk about environmentalism in scripture or whatever. Uh, one of the best uh, verses to look at uh, is in Revelation 11. It's verse 18 that God promises to destroy those who destroy the earth. <laughs> and so, you know, how we treat the land that God gives us definitely reflects on this reflection of, of the sin that's in us. Right. Yes. But also the land is against us in a way. It doesn't produce uh, the, the fruit that or the it doesn't produce what we need to survive. You know, we have to fight it. We have to genetically modify it. We have to work by the sweat of our brow to get it. Right. Toil. Well, yeah. and, and that's what's interesting is the, the word used for work changes. Mm, the toil. So, so from, from, from my understanding, which is limited because I'm human and I can't be an expert in all things, but I was, it was explained to me that one of the, the, there was a, a, a word shift between the work that was that we would have taken part in, in the vocation in the garden versus this work that we will do outside of it which is the same word that's used for slavery and i find yeah. that fascinating yeah i i don't know that but it sounds at right. least I, the I, same root yeah i, I know in king james in the king james there's that language of toil which sounds like sort of work that's almost fruitless um yeah but i don't yeah i don't have the hebrew in front of me so i'm not sure about that but it sounds sounds good <laughs> i like it i like um, it <laughs> I, li I, don't I, can true, I like it <laughs> I, I i can be wrong just you know check up on me yeah <laughs> um so but okay so but then um so we're alienated from each other we, we we're all killing each other right uh but yep. paul says in colossians three eleven that there's this renewal that happens in which there's no distinction between greek and jew circumcised and uncircumcised barbarian scythian slave and freeman but christ is all and in all it's a new humanity we're starting over yeah it's a renewal Right. right. And, 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 and man and woman. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, you know what? That one's not in Colossians. I should have quoted the Ephesians one where it mentions men and women. But yes, yeah. that's also part of it. Um, so, yeah, God through Christ uh, chose, according to Colossians uh, chapter one, verses 20 through 22, to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Uh, yeah. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, reconciliation, not just between people all things in earth and in heaven, right? Yeah. And he goes on to say, although you're formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. That's a tall order, but it's it's there. <laughs> it's, it's in the gospel. <laughs> um, so that's, that's the reversal of our relationships, of our uh, 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 being, uh, sorry, of the, what am I trying to say? Of our relationships being kind of destroyed, of that division that sort of comes of our alienation, uh, mm -hmm. of our alienation from the world, from the universe, really, right? Paul talks about the, the creation groaning as it waits for the revelation yeah. of the sons of God. Uh, anyway, wow. Um, 
so what was let's see uh the fourth piece was god's disowning of the nations right yep. so um as we discussed in previous podcasts one recurring theme throughout scripture is of god choosing israel as a special people and disowning the nations of the tower of babel and this gets reversed in the new testament uh, i would say most dramatically on the day of pentecost which is like yep. a mirror image or recapitulation of the babel story so in yep. babel you have uh, sort of God sort of coming down and people are divided and they, they yeah. speak different languages and they can't communicate with each other anymore. But at Pentecost, God comes down and people who speak different languages are talking to each other and they're proclaiming the good news. Um, so complete reversal. Um, and uh, which, you know, you, you mentioned Dr. Heiser's book, Unseen Realm. That's really mm -hmm. relevant for that. I talk about it a little bit in my book, Fight the Powers. Uh, and uh, that's since that's not free right now. I'll also mentioned that we talked about it in a previous podcast of you, your guys is called um, uh, Piercing the Darkness. Yeah, right? which I think right now is only on Patreon and Rockfin. Ooh, but it is available. You can only get it on Patreon. Okay, yeah, it's worth it, guys. <laughs> you get to look at us and Jessica, who, by the way, I now know she won't be a part of this episode. So it's just me and me and Cody, but that's cool. We're doing good. We're on a roll. Let's it's working. I think it's working. All right. <laughs> and we're close to the hour and a half mark. So depending on how much more you want to get out of me, I think we're doing okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So then um, I'm proud of you. Thank you. So <laughs> the, the, the disinheriting of the nation's piece um, as early as Abraham, we're getting a hints that that's going to be undone. So Paul in his epistle to the Galatians, he sees God's promise to Abraham to bless all the nations through him as a key promise of what the gospel would entail. So when, yeah. when Paul is talking about the gospel in Galatians, he says, you got to go back to Abraham or you're not going to get it. <laughs> right. right. Um, so that's pretty fascinating. Um, and also I, I mentioned there's a lot of Psalms, uh, Psalm 67, Psalm 96, Psalm 100 or three that I've got written down here, but there are more. Uh, and they, that all promise the nations we brought in under God's care, that it's, it's going to be yeah. bigger. Right. Yeah. Um, I even quote uh, Psalm 82. That's the one where it talks about the sons of God, who are uh, disobedient, how they're bringing strife and oppression to the nations through their misrule. Um, and God basically says, I'm going to destroy you. <laughs> and uh, then I'm going to reclaim the nations. Yeah. Pretty awesome. All right. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, number five was the Satan ruling over us bit, right? So Adam and Eve are meant to rule with God on earth. We talked about that. Humans are chosen to be God's representatives and to tend creation. That gets undone. Um, and it seems to maybe happen at the fall of humanity. Something happens where we sort of surrender that rule yeah. to Satan. Um, and so between this event and the disinheritance at Babel, by the time Jesus came on the scene, the devil could say to him that he had power over nations and governments and gave it to whomever he choose, chose. That's Satan saying that. Uh, and that gets undone uh, because the New Testament authors wrote that Satan, along with the powers and principalities, that's a term that Paul uses to describe the fallen sons of God, the spiritual forces that influence the nations. He says the powers and principalities had been defeated through the cross and would one day be completely destroyed as the kingdom of God covered the earth. So that's, that's what we're seeing as, as, as I think the good news. So this is, we got the bad news. We've got the good news. We've talked about what the word gospel means, its connotations, and it's a big story. It's not, it's just Huge a simple, story. it's not as simple as, um, I mean, you can, you can simplify it if you want to, depending on the context, what you're talking about it. Like, um, one of the things I sort of talk about in a second, Adam, is that everybody is trying to tell you what the atonement is and what the gospel is, and they're making it one thing. Liberation theologians talk about how it's the it's 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 the declaration of freedom to the oppressed, 
right? Yeah. Well, and, 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 you know, there's a lot of conservatives who would say, no, that's not what the gospel is about. Well, I'm afraid that it is, but it's not all that the gospel is about. Liberation theologians right. are wrong when they make it that. Yeah. Um, it's also not individual salvation. It's also not only, uh, but it is partly this idea of theosis or being a union with Christ. In fact, union right. with Christ is how we get all the good stuff that the conservative theologians talk about. Uh, like justification and sanctification and eternal life. It doesn't happen if we're not united to Christ. Right. Um, so th there's, there's so many of these, these pieces that come together. Um, and, you know, we can talk about one if it's, if it's relevant or useful in that moment, we can kind of just peel that off and talk about it. Uh, but it's part of the, it's, it's a puzzle piece. It's part of the bigger picture. It's a little, little piece of glass in a mosaic. You got it. And each piece of glass is beautiful. And you can hold yeah. it up to light and you can see something really tremendous through it. And, but, but that's not it. It's not all of it. Yeah. I think it's, you know, Easter is coming up. Um, this is, you know, the first of two, which we, which I'm glad we're talking because I'm, I, I'm going to get all the things out that I couldn't necessarily get out in the next episode, which is more of a conversation on physicalism mm -hmm. and kind of Christian anthropology. I think we talk about yeah. resurrection, but kind of in a more, um, philosophical sense um but there's this really cool story that comes to light every year around this time which is um what the passion of the christ if you want to watch a mel gibson movie now's a good time to do it um but and you, you won't be made fun of at that point because you know racism or whatever yeah well we, we like to watch i always sit down with my children we watch lethal weapon every easter so yeah i mean that's you can choose whatever mel gibson movie you yeah, want to as long watch. as it's a mel gibson movie yeah it doesn't have to be the passion even though you know that's, it makes some sense to watch that now uh you know the the beaver will work like yeah beaver's a great know. movie <laughs> but we've got Un this underrated movie actually it's, it's a yeah it's movie. a good movie that's a good movie. I, I, it's funny that that's the first one that came to my mind and not, you know, I can't think of any other, Braveheart. I didn't think of Braveheart or Patriot. I thought of the beaver. The beaver. Um, <laughs> my, my, this is, and this is off topic, but my favorite thing about the beaver is that it hit uh, the Cannes film festival, um, right as Mel Gibson's kind of worst moments were recorded and released to the world. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so basically everybody at that point thought Mel Gibson was insane. Um, and so the movie's about this guy who's kind of crazy, right? It's about the guy yeah. who, who can't communicate anymore because he's depressed and he picks up a beaver puppet and that begins, that sort of communicates for him and changes his life around and gives him the confidence he needs. Anyway, uh, so he's asked, uh, by an interviewer at Khan, uh, how did you, uh, how, you know, how were you able to, to play a character who is, you know, so unhinged and so crazy? And he dead face leaned into the microphone. He said, I faked it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so anyway, I got us the, way off track with that. Sorry. No, you're you're good. No, I'm I'm I, I've got the North Star. Um, but no, we we've got this story, and we've got these parallels that come out in the story of Jesus throughout his miracles, and through you know bringing heaven to earth through his miracles and his healings and his forgiveness of sins and uh, his, I mean like a very, very literal interpretation of uh, bringing people back together would be Lazarus. Like he literally brought these people back into communion with one another by raising a dude from the dead. Um, but you have all these stories and it's all capped off with Jesus on the cross. You know, you've got this, this man in this context where 
the concept of Messiah that came out of the the um, the prophets and through the the proto evangelion, you know, in Genesis. And these people have all, almost all, I'm sure some of them thought of it differently, but there was this common idea that this was going to be a military leader who was going to overthrow Rome and, and save Israel from its oppression. And Jesus comes along and he's tempted in the wilderness and uh, the, the Satan flaunts his worldly power in front of him and he denies it. And he walks, he walks up the hill he's you know made fun of spat on destroyed physically flogged uh mocked relentlessly and he throughout this this time throughout this ordeal right before it he's in the garden and he he tells his father you know if there's a way for this cup to pass over me if i don't have to drink of this cup i like that but god says this is the way he quotes the Mandalorian back in the Gospels and says, "This is the way." And it's a callback. When, when you're timeless, you can do callbacks right. to things in the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't even know. We didn't even know yeah. until what 20, 2019. <laughs> um, but he obeys instead of you know trying to usurp the power of God and the he which he has, listens. which was his by rights. Right. It wouldn't have been he, a usurpation. Right. It wouldn't have been a usurpation, but he still doesn't do it. Yeah. And he he submits to the Father and he submits himself to our evil, to our violence, which grieves God so much that he, he can't even look upon it. Upon that or our sin. And he takes he takes our sins on himself. He becomes as though he were sin and he dies. And all of those people. All those people who thought that there was going to be this warrior poet king that was going to ride in on a white horse and save the day, he rode in on a donkey, and he died a brutal and humiliating death. And that would be even some of the the disciples on their on the the road. Um, what's where, where were they walking to? The disciples after Jesus died, Emmaus. Emmaus, the road to Emmaus. They were like, "Oh, he failed." They thought that the Messiah had died. And it's something amazing happens. And it's resurrection. For the, I would say for the first time in human history, a man comes back from the dead, but we know he did that earlier. <laughs> but the concept of resurrection at that point was always at the end of time in general. It was not one person in the middle of the story being resurrected. And through the death of God at the hands of men, Jesus overcame death. And here's, here's the parallelism that I've been seeing. I don't, I haven't heard anyone talk about this a lot. I mean, I, I know they have, but in the garden in Genesis, you know, one through three, you see this tree, this tree that is um, the tree of life that gives us everlasting life. And in the Gospels, you see a picture of Jesus being raised on what is described as a tree. You have this parallelism. You have the fact that there is a new tree of life. And the first fruits of that tree, the first fruits of the resurrection is Jesus. And that's incredible to me. Like when I put those pieces together, Cody, I just about pooped. 
because isn't that incredible? Isn't that something? It's amazing, but I, I don't know what it has to do with the beaver. I'm not sure what you've been talking. Well, about. see, the beaver is is uh, substitutionary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, um, no, that's a great insight. Um, and it's it's in Irenaeus. So yeah, when Irenaeus talks about recapitulation, he absolutely makes those connections um, with the tree. Um, uh, he says um, that Jesus was making a recapitulation of that disobedience which had occurred in connection with the tree through the obedience which was exhibited by himself when he hung upon a tree and yes it's it's the tree that brings life yeah um yeah it's amazing um yeah and, and, and if you don't if you don't watch the whole story you don't get it if you if you come in at the last 10 minutes of the sixth sense you'll be like okay this is great cool, right. well but, and but, i think <laughs> it, it leads to a lot of people who bring in a lot of platonic ideals and gnostic ideas and they say mm -hmm. it's it's not resurrection of the body they say it's it's heavenly. You go into a disembodied heavenly state rather than being resurrected like Jesus was. You know, I mean, even even the the um, uh, you know the Catholics and the the Orthodox will call it the Eucharist, and you know a lot of us Pro Protestants will call it communion. But you have the Last Supper, which is a gospel event, and it's when you take communion, when you share communion, you are gospeling. And it's, it's so beautiful to me because I feel like I've heard a lot of talk about heaven, but I hear, and I, you know, I'll hear whisperings of, you know, getting rid of sin and death, but in that, through what Jesus did, through his death and resurrection, death is going to be ultimately destroyed and gone forever. You know, s sin will be gone alienation from god over the land will team once again and we will we'll have a proper relationship with it god will be in charge of the nations you know satan i think and i don't know you know it's different in different circles of christianity but i think he's going to be destroyed that that evil will be no more and i that's the gospel that all of this will be undone and it's not just personal it's corporate it's global it's it's sad that we we only see it as one thing when you know if you look at the the prayer that jesus taught his disciples you know our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven it's right there i mean that's the pr the prayer jesus tells them to pray is a gospeling event isn't that incredible Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm I'm just taken aback every time I think about it, and I sound like a kid who has had, who just had his first popsicle. Yeah, I get so excited, and I'm sorry if that's lame. <laughs> no, 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 it's not lame at all. <laughs> I, I I think that's awesome. Yeah, I think that the problem is when you we become so used to that idea that it doesn't excite you anymore. You need to sort of step back Dude. and hear it fresh, almost, right? Yeah, and well, and and that's why I wanted to have this conversation because. You know, like a lot of times you'll hear the gospel and it's as simply stated as Jesus died. Um, there's no more sin. And we'll, I mean, sometimes they'll talk about resurrection, but a lot of times they'll talk about heaven. Um, but, you know, you miss out on so much. You, you miss out on the fact that God has been working on this story since the moment he thought up Adam. He knew what was going to happen. It sucked. He hated it, <laughs> but he had a plan. 
And I, 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 I think it's, I think that there's nothing that excites me more than thinking about our great hope as Christians, which is the resurrection, which is going back to what we should have been, which is losing our corruptibility, which is losing our sin, which is losing our, our taste for violence, which is losing our, our taste for uh, chaos and disorder and things that hurt us. And it's, it's, if, if you aren't do yourself a favor and read the whole Bible, it's going to be hard. There are hard, hard things to get through in that, in that book. Like numbers is a real slog. If you don't know what you're doing, you know, even if you do know what you're doing, sometimes just reading numbers. Like, uh. But there, there are great resources. I mean, read, read Cody's books, read unhitched, read, um, uh, the second Adam, read, look, go to the bibleproject.com and go through each of their kind of commentaries and summaries of the different books of the Bible. And what, you know, what, what are these books? Look at their genres. I mean, Jonah is such a different story when you start looking at it in a way that it's actually written and how it was written and what it was mean to be read as versus, you know, the veggie tales, Jonah and the, the pirates who don't do anything like, like there's so much beauty there that we miss. Um, but yeah, I mean, and if, let me just tell you, even though salvation and even though the plan of salvation isn't the whole story of the gospel, it is a very important part. And so if you're out there and you haven't taken that step, I recommend it. And I'm there to talk to you on Twitter. Um, that's the easiest way to get to me at Ham Carlos. If you want to talk about Jesus, I'm there. And I know Cody's the same way. We've, we've talked about this before. Um, we, we want to talk to you about Jesus because this is, this is the most important conversation that we can have. Yeah. That, that plan of salvation piece. I mean, that's, that's join the party. That's how it's, it's, I mean, that's really what it's about. It's okay. Yeah. How do I because ultimately it, it, you know, when all you make it is that, how do I get in questions? Like, well, how do I get into what? And I think what we've been talking about is the what, but hopefully you're excited, you know, you're excited about the what, and if yeah. you haven't really thought through the question, how do I get in? Uh, yeah, let's do that. Get there. Yeah, get there, man. <laughs> and and yeah, and it's it's there's a lot of cool stuff, and and you know, turning away from your from your sin and the things that hurt you is so great. Having friends that that want to see you succeed and do well and make the most out of not just your life but the world around you, like it's there's so much cool stuff. Um, but I feel like that kind of reaches the zenith of the talk. What do you think? Anything else in that in that vein before I start asking you my fun questions at the end? No, I think I think you wrapped it up pretty nicely. Well, thank you. You're 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 now my favorite guest. <laughs> um, but uh, I think that you know, hey, I don't care what denomination you're from. I don't care what church is closest to you. But you know, Good Friday is coming up, and Easter's right after that, which. <laughs> what is it uh, a week and a half from now so go to church man go go see what the people of god are up to and have some grace for them because it seems to me that there are a lot of people out there that don't have a lot of grace for christians and i hate to break it to you but we're just as broken as you are and we're going to make just as many mistakes as you make have a little grace with those people um but go to church, man, and and talk to us. We we do a Bible study. We've we, it's been inconsistent lately, but we should be talking again tomorrow night. 
Uh, so if you want to come and talk about this episode, if you want to come and talk about what we're reading in Acts right now, join us for that. Um, but let me get to the fun parts. I mean, this is the fun part for me, but you know, not everyone's like, hey, let's hear Cam talk about the resurrection all the time. So now, and now I, I, I didn't, I'm not prepared for this. So hopefully the fact that okay. I don't have like some kind of a script or document won't completely derail me. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. Well, I, I think that at this point, um, I'll just ask you, since we just talked about, do you want to talk about what gives you hope right now? Because I feel like we just talked about the ultimate thing. Yeah, I think that's that's been the last hour and 47 minutes, I think. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah. Uh, so I won't do that one, but I will I will ask you my favorite question. I don't know if I've asked you this before or not, but I'll ask you two questions. If it's no. what's what's my favorite thing about you, I think I've done that twice, but I could I I could probably think of a third thing if you need me to. Oh man, I'll I I I wasn't going to ask that one, but I will because <laughs> I want to hear I want to hear what you come up with. Um, oh, yeah. no, the the first one is is a hot dog a sandwich. Uh yeah. Okay, thank you. You're yeah. right. Yeah. Um, uh, in, in fact, uh, because I'm somebody who likes to cite historical sources, there's a, uh, a song called Yes, We Have No Bananas. And in the Louis Prima version, and this would have been out in the 40s, I think, um, it refers to a hot dog as a hot dog sandwich. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Second one. Do you think, and this is, this is we got into a whole thing with Brad on this, so I'm just going to go with the, your first reaction. Do you think there are more wheels or doors? on the planet uh doors definitely doors see that's where i am too and and yeah. people try to say wheels and i know lego wheels exist but I'm, I'm i'm saying well so i'll qualify that slightly because if you think about it um you know if you've got one house and one car you have well no never mind because you have you have at least two doors plus the doors to your room so I, i'm still gonna say doors i was gonna say if you think of it as like you know your house only has two doors toward two doors but your car has four wheels then even if there's, you know, not half as many cars as there are houses and you're still ahead, but no, there's every door, houses have multiple doors too. So I think, yes, oh yeah, three doors. so many doors. I don't um, even know. So yeah, I don't, it's, it's a ridiculous question. I'm on team door, <laughs> um, but a lot of people are on team wheel. So I mean, Hey, more power to them. Um, well, since she's not here and she can't like gush and be embarrassed, like what's your favorite thing about Jessica? Well, you know, it's it's tough because in a way, <laughs> it's like um, I kind of got to know you guys at the same time. And what I appreciate about both of you uh, are, are kind of the same things. But um, I think uh, how welcoming you guys have been. You're very funny. I appreciate the um, uh, your your enthusiasm for for God. Um, trying to think, I think it's cool that she's uh, Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox. I'm yeah, not Eastern yeah. Orthodox, but I think it's cool that she is, yeah. <laughs> and and it's 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 a uh, because I think what what is really kind of awesome is that all these different traditions bring something that's useful. That's really what kind of we've been talking about in a sense. Yeah, is that everybody wants to focus on one thing they think is important, and right. um, you know they're they're wrong by making that the only thing or the most important thing. Uh, yeah. But I'm, I'm glad that they're there to have a conversation with because what they're going to do is bring their own special insight, you know, like, like Calvinism and Arminianism, right? It's like, yeah. uh, do people have a real choice in their salvation or is God sovereign? Well, they can't really both be true in the same way. Uh, but it's, what's really kind of neat is that Calvinists have this, 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 um, conviction that God's glory is so important and that, you know, God is this sort of master thinker and planner and, and, 
you know, that's kind of cool, right? I mean, like, yeah. I'm glad that they're there to, to write and for me to read and to have conversations with them. So I, I, I like what Jessica brings in with her um, emphasis on tradition and the Orthodox teaching, even if I'm not going to go all the way with her. On that. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. Um, also, uh, my beard, mm. I think is going to be your, your third answer. Yeah. I, I, and we were talking before the show and I, I know that you feel much more comfortable having the kind of, you know, the, the beard that sort of covers your whole body, but, um, yeah, werewolf face. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, but this is, this is good too, though. Cause I feel like it's, it's, it's kind of clean and tight and it's just different. <laughs> like, um, see, I've been on here, I have this beard, which I was cool to have. Um, but it's the only beard my wife wants me to have. So when I try to huh. do something different, she doesn't like it. Um, so this is kind of the beard I'm stuck with because I want my wife to be happy. Yeah. And my, my, mine's kind of the same way, but it's as much beard as possible uh, that okay. my wife wants. So it's like, and that's fine with me. I, gotcha. I, even when I, so, 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 if you were to pull, you were to pull up your shirt and, and you had extra beards, would she yeah. like? Beard oh yeah. If, if, if my beard. back, if my back was covered like a, a, uh, a Wookiee, she'd be thrilled yeah. with that. Cause she'd so, it's not, the so hair. it's not beard specifically, it's hair. Oh, well, I mean, it, it is. It, yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> it, it is. It is especially, yeah. you know, hair here and here, gotcha. but like, so if you if you shaved beard shapes into your body, that would or just put little beards on you, that would. I think be. she. I think she. I think she'd appreciate it. She'd like that. Okay. <laughs> so I think that that does it. Um, so you do things. One of the things you do is write a lot of books, which I'm going to read some on a microphone. I think I want to do unhitched. Okay. Um, yeah, that'd be great. But uh, so, but if people want to find you and hear. Like I feel like you're more active on Facebook than you are Twitter. Probably I've gotten a little more active on Twitter, um, but yeah, uh, but either or I feel like I feel like my my Twitter is probably more like my public face, and Facebook yeah. is a little bit more just like for friends mostly. But um, like and also a little bit of networking. But yeah, uh, Twitter you're not going to see pictures of my kids or whatever that much. Um, right. <laughs> but, but Facebook's a little more personal. Yeah. But if you want to find him on Twitter, he is at Cantus Firmus CC. CC stands for Church of Christ. No, it's Cody Cook. Yeah. Um, if you'd like to listen to his podcast, you can do that at Cantus Cantus hyphen firmus dot com. Yeah. Right. I wanted to and, make it hard to spell so no one would ever visit my website. So. Right. That's that's the way to do it. Yeah. Um, what's fun about our website is the madones.com was taken, so I had to find something. So we're we are the madones.com. Mm -hmm. Um, but that means that when we go on other people's shows they think our show is called we are the mad ones and i'm like uh, no not true uh and also you've written numerous books like you said um your books a second adam and unhitched are currently free on kindle is it like kindle unlimited or uh well actually i try to keep all my books on kindle unlimited so if you have a kindle unlimited account you can read all of them um but they're if you want to buy them they're on kindle so basically that's only for the next few days because the way yeah. Amazon works, you can have these sort of few days periods where you can uh, promote, give it away for free. So even if you don't think you're going to like it, just get it because it's free. And then, right. you know, you decide one day you want to read it. That's fine. Uh, and if you like it or don't like it, actually, if you hate it, even write a review because that's good, too, because we need hate reviews because you haven't made it until you get hate reviews. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, and it feels you know, more balanced when you have both. Well, I hate them. But if the if 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 anyone listening or watching wants to see them or buy them the the links are in the description and they're on the website so very easy to click through 
and do that. Uh, beyond that, you have anything else you want to tell these these horrible people? Uh, repent, ye sinners. No, I don't know. Uh, everything. Um, <laughs> no, I feel pretty good. Cool. <laughs> I feel like we've covered what we need to say. So since Jessica's not here, I'm going to make you you struggle through all the things I have to tell them about what's coming in the future. Uh, so let's do that. Next week, we have our episode with Glenn Peoples coming out, still at Wednesday, 8.30 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, right after that, we have a, a man named Ben, a comedian named Ben Brown, who grew up in a Mormon polygamous compound. And we're going to talk to him about that. What's that like? I also found out, Cody, uh, because I my wife was watching Sister Wives. I don't know if you've ever watched Sister Wives. I'm, I know what it's about. Right, but I, 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 I was, she was watching it, and I walked past, and I had just done one of my calendar dates, and I saw Ben Brown, and then I heard, I realized that the name of the family, like the, the patriarch in that show is Cody Brown. Oh. And it turns out, with a little research, he is actually Cody Brown's nephew. So it's the nephew of the guy from Sister Wives. Okay. So wild yeah <clears throat> right after that brad binkley is going to come back on we're going to talk about the month we're going to talk about all kinds of things maybe we'll have him bring some kind of special knowledge uh some people told me it's hard to, uh, my, our friend josh aka iowa ancap said that uh you know sometimes i don't know how you you talk to him for for so long because he brings so much stuff to the table and he said there's so much stuff i want to look into after and i'm like no i i just i that's what i'm here for man it's fun. I don't get tired at all. Um, but after that, so Cody, in October, we had you on to talk about um, the Piercing the Darkness episode. Mm -hmm. And one of the episodes that we wanted to do that month was talking to like a mortician or someone who works with the dead and gets them prepped for burial, right? Because people have a lot of questions about the really hands-on stuff on that. I was curious. like, <laughs> But we weren't able to find someone who did that because it's a very small amount of people who actually do this and have any presence online, yeah. but I found someone. So right after Brad, we're going to be talking to a guy named GW who is a um, autopsy tech hmm. and an embalmer. And so we're going to talk to him about all of what death is like and how, how much of a disgusting enemy it is. Uh, but beyond that, Woo, we did it. Uh, if you want to find me on Twitter, I'm at Ham Carlos. Sadly, Jessica wasn't here tonight, which is the first time that's, is that the first time that's happened? No, last time I had Monica on with her and to replace her. So it's not been that long, but it's weird not having her here. If you want to follow her on Twitter, she is at Soup Canarchist. Um, if you're here on YouTube, hit like, hit subscribe, hit the bell icon, you know, help us grow in this thing because we want to do more we want to talk to more people and you know it's easier to talk to more people when you've got a bunch of follow of subscribers so do that um if you want to help us afford to do this if you go to patreon.com slash the mad ones you get a lot of stuff like we said early episodes zoom parties cody actually came to the last one and we we played games together for a while um very fun uh we are the mad ones.com slash store for any merch um, youtube.com slash the mad ones for all listening. You can watch it live and comment and see your comments come across the screen. So do that. Um, we're also on Rockfin, Odyssey, and every podcatcher. You can listen directly and download for posterity if you'd like on our website, we are the mad ones.com. That's it. That's all the things. Okay. All right. You wanna you wanna tell them something nice and then I can say my little dumb thing at the end? Uh, I'm Eastern Orthodox and I like soup. Woo! So, so, with that, <laughs> so with or, that, so with that, I could be Kevin Eubanks or whatever. I mean, it doesn't matter. 
<laughs> so with that, you have a chance to be a light in the world. So uh, go light it up. 